With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, broadband talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone who's uh, here in the audience today, and thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, And of course, a big shout-out goes to our sponsor, Hiawatha Broadband Communications, and you can find them at www.hbci.com. And they will be a uh, future guest in the month of August uh, talking about public-private partnerships. So you definitely want to hang in there for this series because there's a lot of great guests coming up uh, in the next month. So our mission here at uh, Gigabit Nation is pretty simple, uh, but it's also a pretty powerful mission. And we want to provide um, useful information and insights to help communities, companies, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband to everywhere it needs to be in America. And that's pretty much it. But if you know, if you imagine the possibilities when we can do that, um, it's, it's it's definitely pretty awesome. Um, one minor housekeeping item: uh, we're not going to be taking call-ins today. However, you can join in uh, the live chat that's happening on the show's um, Blog Talk Radio page. You do have to register for an account to participate. But we welcome everybody to be a part of this great uh, show that we got going on. So joining us today for our first show is Jim Ingram, who's the Vice President of Strategic Planning for EPB, which is Chattanooga, Tennessee's public utility and the operator of the city's 300-square-mile um, gigabit network. Now, Jim is a, is a, was a pivotal figure in getting this network project off the ground um, in his role leading the, the business uh, planning team. So, um, Jim, welcome. Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's a double pleasure to have the opportunity to be here on the maiden voyage of your radio show. And uh, all of CPB wish you the best of luck with this. Uh, uh, it's an exciting project. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so let's get right into it. So, Jim, you know, we all hear from critics about uh, communities running broadband network. And by all of the, the, the negative stuff that's been out there, you know, your project technically should be a, a failure because every, every you know, according to them, every government project in, in, in broadband in some way, you know, is wrong and it's always a failure. It doesn't work. And 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 you guys in particularly, I mean, you did a three hundred million dollar investment in this in this project. However, you 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 had your first profitable month in April of this year, which was only uh, eighteen months after the launch. Uh, your revenues—it's expected that revenues will sustain operations by uh, two thousand and twelve. You have thirty thousand uh, residential customers. You got thirteen hundred business customers. And you're also knocking millions of dollars off of EPB's operating costs, you know, as a, as a utility. How did you do it? Well, all, all of that, all of those, all of that is true. And uh, you know, really, if you think about it, EPB is a, a municipal retail distributor of electricity at its core. Today, we're also a communications company, but we've been operating an electric system for over 70 years, and uh, operating it is a very successful business. Um, we went into the communications business, you know, really when you start talking about fiber optic communications, it's been over 20 years that we've had fiber optic communication ca- capability in the electric system to give us greater control over our substations and to improve the reliability of the power supply that we provide here in Chattanooga and into the surrounding counties. Um, you know, as you point out, if our business wasn't successful, we wouldn't be serving today over, you know, 31,000 customers, both residential uh, and commercial. 
the community is very pleased with the service that we're offering. We didn't build it without asking them first if they wanted us to build it. Um, originally, when we got into the communications business, it was back in 2000, it was really part of a downtown economic development project. It was the current, the mayor at that time, as uh, our current uh, U.S. Senator, uh, Bob Corker, asked EPB, could we offer downtown telephone service as a CLEC as a way of providing more competitive communications rates to help uh, lure more business into the downtown area. Uh, over time, that grew into a commercial telephone company, and eventually we added Internet to it. Uh, those businesses are all profitable today, and it's just been a little over two years now that we entered into the residential um, broadband market uh, offering triple play fiber optic service to our customers. Uh, the response to the community from the community, uh, you know, I work, as you said, I worked on the business plan. Uh, we we have far exceeded all of the uh, all of the customer projections that I was originally uh, very conservatively hoping that we would get in the early years of the project. Uh, we have a cash flow positive business today. Um, we're really thinking more about the future of the business than rather whether we did the right thing in the past or not. The bottom line is, you know, to get at your question, Craig, you know, can you make these systems economically work? And the answer to the question is, sure, you can make them work. It just depends on where the return on investment goes. So in our case, it's going to the people of Chattanooga and to the surrounding counties. And so when we're, you know, we're not, uh, you know, dealing with paying the kind of return on investment that, you're, for example, your typical Wall Street investor would expect, um, you know, what you find is that it's much easier to make the numbers work, uh, especially when you have a community that is, uh, you know, hungry for this kind of new communication service. And Chattanooga was certainly, is, is certainly hungry for it. Mm-hmm. Well, very interesting. So, <clears throat> looking at the at the at the planning stage, you know, what are the main ingredients to success at that at that stage? I mean, you you have an idea, uh, you haven't done this before. Um, you know, not a lot of other folks have done this before. How do you do the planning so that you know you when you come at the end of it that, that you have a, a fairly effective plan to go forward with? Well, to to the, the truth is that we started out in our planning process uh, in a very incremental way. Like I said, we entered the communications business in 2000, so we've been in it and we're in our 11th year. Um, we now have you know, over 10 years of experience and we've incrementally added services and expanded our footprint over time. So from a planning perspective, we didn't decide to do it all in a big bang. We decided that we could not be successful at this business if we didn't earn the knowledge to successfully manage the business. The second thing we did was we started from what we knew and what we what we are good at, which is, which is managing the electric system. And the communications infrastructure, the first questions we began to ask ourselves was, you know, what exactly can this communications infrastructure do for the electric customer in Chattanooga, and then what can a cable television product, an internet product, a telephone product on top of that, you know, do to extend that value? Um, we started we started out with the notion that there were huge operating operating savings. That when we started, when I got involved in planning the system, EPB was a four hundred million dollar a year company. Uh, today we're six hundred and fifty million. Um, when we started into this, we started asking ourselves some real questions. Uh, how could we effectively, in the future, design a more efficient electric system with a fiber optic network laid right over the top of it? Um, we did some studies. We determined very quickly um, that uh, there were $30 million a year in savings that we were you know, very conservatively confident that we could gain either directly for EPB or for the community by deploying the kind of metering, switching, control softwares that we're putting into place today to give us a more modern electric system. 
We worked with the electric, uh, uh, the EPRI, the Electric uh, Power Research Institute, out in uh, Southern California, uh, and spent some time with them going over our business plans as a kind of a check. Uh, we asked them, you know, do you think we're going to see the kinds of savings we're getting or we're projecting? And you know, sometimes they said, well, well you think we're a little low there, we're a little high here. But we came down around to this idea that, you know, it looks like about $30 million a year conservatively over 10 years. That's $300 million for, you know, a network that originally was going to cost us about $220 million to build. So it looked like a pretty good uh, deal for the community. Uh, we also looked hard at some, you know, some real basic questions. You know, what if the worst happened and nobody signed up for one communication service uh, would the communications network be enough of a value for the electric system that it would still be a good financial deal for Chattanoogans? And, you know, the answer to that was a res resounding uh, yes. You know, just to give you an example, Craig, we, we have our, our uh, electric load here in Chattanooga is, is still very much uh, manufacturing-based. About 40% of our load is uh, in manufacturing. Uh, we believe, you know, the studies that we have done, we lose about, our customers lose about $100 million a year in uh, productivity from very short duration power outages. You know, these can be seconds. And so with the switching technology and the automation we're putting in place today, we're going to have the ability to isolate those kinds of problems, reduce them significantly, and we, we believe that we'll be able to you know, just conservatively out of the chute eliminate 40% of that. So that alone is 40 million dollars. So you know we're being, being more conservative than that. But but the point is that you know there's just example example after example that as we looked into the way our electric system operates, the way we size transformers for the electric system, um, you know it's it's just uh you know it's lore in the electric business that you design you know for three times what you need to assure reliability um, in the future we're going to know enough about our electric system to where uh our engineers will be able to design the electric system to meet the load to you know tighter tolerances than that that's going to reduce our capital costs it's going to make us more efficient to operate so you know, the first thing we did was we figured out that there's a great deal of value just to the electric system alone, and that's without even going down the path of starting to think about things like demand response project pro programs that would, you know, adjust people's thermostats or water heater, uh, heat pump controls or pool pump controls or new smart appliances or smart vehicles or any of that kind of value. Before we even get off into that kind of value, you know, we were very confident that we were going to be able to provide a much better electric system for Chattanooga. You know, when we talk to our customers, Craig, and we ask them, you know, how do you feel about uh, how quickly we were able to get the power on after that last storm? And they'll say, well, uh, you know, that's all well and good, but I'd just rather the power didn't go off in the first place. Well, that makes and sense. so, you know, that's the standard. And mm -hmm. we are doing, you know, we're doing everything we can at EPB to try to drive to a place. Uh, our our chief operating officer coined a term that we've all kind of adopted. Our, our electric system in the future will be intelligent, it will be interactive, and it will be self-healing. And right. so with our communications system, we'll be able to interact with it. With the automation softwares we're installing, we'll be able to send commands and receive data at rates we've never dreamed of before, and uh, it will be smart enough to fix itself, uh, at least up to a point. Uh, now, when it's laying down on the ground, uh, back in April, we had some of the worst tornadoes come through town in our history. We had 129,000 of 170,000 customers off initially. We've been installing automated switching on our electric system, automated metering, and the control software through our SCADA system we have in, in, in place today uh, allowed us to get almost a third of those customers back on almost automatically. Um, and, you know, we had customers who were out for seven or eight days in Chattanooga. So Let me ask a question here. Let me interrupt for a second, though. Sure, um, sure. It seems like uh, at one point you mentioned it, and it was definitely mentioned when I was down there, 
that this is an economic development issue and when we when you when you read about smart grid you know they talk about obviously the things that you talked about in terms of being able to to uh manage the energy uh, more effectively and making sure it gets to people and so forth but it seems there's an economic uh aspect in that you know 40 million dollars is not chump change if you're talking about improved uh productivity of the business community at large so should communities then, you know, instead of looking at it strictly as, um, you know, should we have the, the, the utility be involved because it will make energy management more effective, but saying we can impact our local economy more effectively if we have this network? Well, you're, you're exactly right about that. And the, the data itself is uh, a little bit harder to come by on the economic development side as compared to what we understand about the electric system or the communication system. But I can tell you some things very deliberately about the economic uh, development impact of both our smart grid and the fiber optic network. Um, first of all, when I was working on the business plan, we hired a World Bank economist to work with the uh, chairman of the finance department at our local university to do an analysis with a model called M-Plan uh, developed at the University of Minnesota. It's used by the World Bank basically to figure out what is the con community return on investment for a capital project at the community level for infrastructure like a regional hospital or an airport or a sports stadium. So we asked them to go look at a fiber optic network and a smart grid and asked them to do some projections for us. They came back and they were being, again, very ultra-conservative, and in the first run of the model, they said over 10 years, and in, term, in terms of increased payroll, tax base, base uh, productivity gains in the business community, that the project was going to be worth a little over $600 million to Chattanoogans. And they said that we would get somewhere around 2,600 new jobs out of it. We... Since then, of course, I did that initial study back in 2006. We just finished rerunning that program five years later. The model is today saying that actually the value to Chattanooga over the next 10 years will look like something about $1.2 billion. But they're actually saying that, you know, the job growth is a little bit slower than they thought it might be, in part because the economy has really slowed down, obviously, since 2006. But they're now saying we're probably due for another 3,600 jobs. But one of the things that has been surprising to them is just last year alone, we added over 5,800 new jobs in Chattanooga. Uh, one of the things the fiber optic network has done for Chattanooga is it's energized everybody. Uh, the people in town are, you know, the, our economic development folks at the Chamber of Commerce, uh, all of our regional development people, uh, all of our political leaders, uh, the business community here in Chattanooga, the public at large, everybody's just very excited about the promise of what this fiber optic network means. And when you see our Internet product go through its paces up to a gigabit symmetrical speed, and when you see our IPTV offering, that it really is giving you a high-definition picture, um, you know, it's not hard to see where that energy comes from. And, you know, you and I can agree that energy is, is really important to a, to a community's ability to attract capital investment and job growth. Mm -hmm. Just in the last, you know, three years, we've seen Volkswagen uh, announce a, a major manufacturing plant here, and they're starting, you know, the cars are starting to roll off the assembly line next month. Uh, just about all, almost all of the suppliers in the supplier park out at the plant are on our fiber optic service. Amazon has come to town. Uh, they're building, a, uh, I believe, a million-square-foot distribution center here. Uh, they said deliberately that our, you know, our communications infrastructure and reliable power supply were part of the reason why they decided to locate here. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a healthcare company out of Miami called HomeServe move to Chattanooga, and they've said very deliberately that, you know, they said they have they have said, uh, you know. Uh, Chattanooga residents have more bandwidth capacity in their home than we had in our business in Miami. We want to be in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. So, 
Let me ask you a question can't here, say too. That, you know, to be honest, you can't really say that the fiber optic network by itself is the attractor for economic development. But what you can say is that, you know, it's one of the top five issues, just like a reliable power supply is. Uh, what you can say, what we can say is we have the most advanced infrastructure available anywhere in the world today. And uh, we, we run it in a way to where the service that uh, we provide is, is absolutely trusted. And that translates into a lot of community uh, energy and excitement, which, uh, you know, projects to people who come to town to look for an opportunity to open a business here. Mm-hmm. It's not just the big manufacturing plants, so entrepreneurs are pl- paying more attention to Chattanooga. We have uh, new um, venture capital firms, uh, seed capital funds that are opening up here. There's a little company here in, ch- in town. Uh, these guys are really exciting guys. They're uh, you know from New York, Wall Street, and out in Silicon Valley. It's called the Lamp Post Group. Uh, they're um, you know they're providing seed funding for small technology-based startups. Uh, next summer, they're planning to bring. Uh, kids from some of the best universities in the United States to Chattanooga, and they're going to put them up for the summer and say, here's a $50,000 prize. Who can come up with the best application for gigabit of bandwidth? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those kinds of things weren't happening in our town before we built our network. Right. And that's that's where the energy comes from. Okay. Uh, You know, uh, you and I talked about the 48-hour launch when you were here in Chattanooga. Uh, visiting with us, and uh, you know, we provided gigabit symmetrical bandwidth to uh, a group of entrepreneurs, financial people, marketing people, management folks from our community. They all come together over a weekend with an entrepreneur, and by Monday morning, they develop business plans and they launch a company. Uh, we had, uh, uh, I believe, it was seven or eight companies launch in the last one. Around 30 jobs were created. Um, so. You know, it comes from both ends. Uh, right. It comes from both the larger corporate perspective and from the more entrepreneurial startup perspective, too. Okay. Not let to me mention throw, we've got over another... 1,300 business customers who, you know, are taking more and more advantage of that uh, bandwidth capacity every day. You, know, you mentioned, you know, everybody says nobody needs all the bandwidth, and how do you do that? You know, how have, how have we made it work? I think the reality Craig, is that if you give people access to the bandwidth capacity, they will make use of it. And that's what we're seeing here in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this question. Um, you mentioned you know, bringing in uh, someone to do uh, research on the economic potential. And clearly, as you delineate these different types of applications that are being you know, brought into play because of the network, again, coming back to the planning stage, what kind of people do you need to bring around the table? You know, what does the community need to bring around the table to um, to move them down a path where these kinds of applications are are possible? Well, I, I think if, if there, there are kind of two ways to come at that question. If you're thinking about building a smart grid, a fiber and a, and a fiber optic network, um, you want to bring everybody in your community to the table. You want your political leaders, you want your business leaders, you want to interact with the public. Uh, We spent a lot of time at EPB uh, first educating our employees on what we were doing, and then we sent them out into the community and met with every civic group we could find to say, here's what we're thinking about doing, here's what it'll take to do it, Uh, here's what you'll have uh, once we have done it, here are what the opportunities will be for you. Uh, you know, we asked them very deliberately, you know, is this the kind of thing that it makes sense to you for us to do? do would you trust us to do it? Uh, you know, do you want us to do it? And if you don't, please say so. So from the perspective of build the networks, uh, you need that, you need to really engage everybody. Now, when you start talking about applications, whether it's healthcare or education or it's uh, e-commerce in the business community, whether it's public service in your in your uh, government offices, or even if it's just a family at you know at home in your residence, where you're interested in entertainment and communicate you know just communication service, it really depends on who the subject matter experts are. But you do want a core of people who are business people who 
think about this in terms of very practical business terms, uh, who think about it in terms of, you know, is it a positive uh, impact on my cash flow? Is this in some way reducing my risk of operating my business or my household? And is it adding to the value of my business or my household? You want that, you want that strong business perspective at the table. The second thing I think you want is, you know, this may sound a little strange to you, but you want, you want the artistic community at the table. You want the people who can see beyond, you know, you want a little bit of the dreamer, the missionary, the, um, the futurist, uh, the person who kind of looks around the corner and says, you know, hey, could we do that with this? And how could I make that, you know, how would that look to us? And, you know, you find that the more artistic folks in your community are typically the ones that will tend to have those kinds of visions. The third thing you need is you need the people who can manage the technology. You need the people with the knowledge of how to build websites, how to manage networks, uh, how to uh, operate all the uh, software systems that go into uh, operating these systems, who can answer technical questions uh, in English for the average person to help them solve problems when they do come up. I think the third thing you want is you want software expertise. Uh, the, or the fourth thing you want is software expertise. Uh, you want people who understand how to automate the way we do things and to push it out on these communications networks. The last thing you got to have, and this is really critical, is you have to have leaders who are committed to it. Um, you have to have leaders that are a little bit of a combination of all of those other things. Um, They've got to be, a, be willing to kind of take on the existing culture of the organizations they lead and move them in the direction of doing things in a little bit different way and a little more efficiently and a little more effectively. Uh, you, need you need leaders who take a business approach to a problem and say if it's good for the community and it's good business, then we ought to do it as opposed to we're going to do the bare minimum and hope nobody complains over the course of the year. So leadership is, is critical to it. We are very fortunate here in Chattanooga uh, to have the, the, the support of uh, both our county and city mayor, our city council, our uh, county commission, uh, the, the members of the Gen Tennessee General Assembly here, uh, our congressional leaders, uh, and, and the business community, and, and our board of directors here at EPB that is made up of the business community, and then, of course, Harold DePriest, who's our President and CEO is, is the leader of EPB. I know you met him when he, you were here, Craig, and mm -hmm. he's been integral to this. So now, how do you move it off the dime? Because again, you know, you can do the planning, and and obviously you want to do enough planning to move things forward. But now we have a situation uh, in the U.S. We've got uh, Google has uh, announced they're going to build a gigabit network for Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas. You have several hundred communities that have received uh, stimulus grant uh, money to, to do a, a whole number of middle mile and, and last mile projects. Isn't there a point here somewhere where you've got to move from the planning to the implementation, uh, especially for those projects where, in the, in the stimulus case, they have very specific deadlines uh, to, to when they have to be finished? So how do you get from good planning to action? Well, I, I think the, the first thing you have to have is the equivalent of a bankable deal. Um, when we were working on our business plan for both the smart grid and the fiber to the home network, we were going to have to go to our city council and, our, and, and uh, collaborate with the county commission, uh, and our city council was going to have to give us permission to issue the revenue bonds to allow us to finance the network. So the first thing we had to have was a business plan that was logical and made sense, that was made up of numbers that were backed up by facts, that we had a good handle on what the risk was going to be, uh, that we had answers for, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, how we were going to manage that risk when inevitable problems come up, um, and that you're able to take that plan uh, to the financial markets, and that you're able to raise the capital uh, to to fund actually building the system. So mm -hmm. that that's that's the first thing that you have to have. 
uh, once you've built that, um, you know, in, in our case in Chattanooga, uh, it's a pretty business-centric uh, community around here. Um, I can tell you that uh, my boss, Harold Tabrice, is certainly, uh, you know, a businessman through and through, as is our board of directors. Um, so to convince them that we had the numbers as right as we could get them was key to it. Um, I think also that, um, you know, going past, going past the financing, I think that what we did to communicate, uh, you know, to communicate with the community was equally important to us. I know we've talked a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think getting out and uh, talking to as many people in Chattanooga as we possibly could uh, was a key to moving the project off the dime. The, the, dime. the, uh, the response back from the community was, I think, the thing that gave everybody the confidence that we were doing the right thing to move forward here. So then based on that feedback, were you then able to put timelines in the plan and then basically that dictated that, okay, we're going to start this phase of the project here and we're going to start the next phase over here and then we're going to do phase three at this point in time? That, exactly. That's exactly okay. right. And uh, once, we knew, once we knew that our political leadership, the business community, and the public at large were with us in this endeavor, um, we had a plan in place. And uh, as soon as we raised the money, we went to work uh, physically building the network and getting ready to launch the services. Mm -hmm. So now what challenges do you think will face these various um, communities? Again, I, you know, I focus on the, the stimulus grant winners because obviously they're, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people have eyes on them. You know, they've received all this money. People want right. to be, be effective. However, there are indeed, you know, dozens if not hundreds of other projects being planned uh, in other communities where they won't have uh, this particular kind of uh, benefit of, of stimulus money. Uh, what will the challenges look like once you hit that point where you've got to go? You know, you got to start building. You've got to start generating applications, or you've got to start at least encouraging applications, right? You got to bring these people on board to want to build the kind of applications such as Lamppost is doing, um, and and all the other different constituencies. But but what what challenges do they potentially face? Well, I, I think you know, it's pretty typical for fiber to the home deployments, not just here in Chattanooga, although we certainly experienced that. But um, what happens is, you know, d the demand for your service overwhelms your ability to get it to people as fast as they want it. Um, just about every one of us in Chattanooga uh, for, you know, over a year couldn't go to the grocery store without somebody saying, when's the fiber coming to my neighborhood? Um, and, and, you know, so we had to really communicate very carefully with everybody about how we were building, building the network out. We actually built it the same way we deal with a, a storm in the electric system. We built in the places where the population was densest and just moved out and, and, and actually finished the network in record time. But managing, managing people's expectations on the front end and the demand is critical. Uh, earning, earning the knowledge for yourself on how to run these networks once you've built them and you have to operate them putting in the homework, putting in the time to build that expertise, to make sure that you have the technical people on your staff who know how to operate these networks, who know how to maintain these networks, who know how to upgrade these networks is critical. It's also important to have good vendor partners. Uh, our network was built primarily uh, in partnership with Alcatel-Lucent, um, and, uh, you know, we have to manage that relationship, and they have to manage it too. Uh, when we started into the fiber optic network, the actual construction of it, you know, our mantra was, number one, the network has got to work. We put this thing up, it's got to function as advertised. Number two, our business systems have got to work as well as our 70-plus-year-old electric business systems because that's the standard people would hold us to. So we had to make sure that we could connect people to the system, that we could give them an accurate bill, that we uh, were able to educate them about our services that were available. 
making sure all our operating systems were working the way they were supposed to was another critical issue, and people, again, are vitally important to that. The last thing was we had to enter the market and compete for customers, and uh, so we had to learn how to go out and sell community-wide and uh, offer a service where people have other choices from other providers. So it is no small matter uh, to make sure that you're prepared to meet demand, that you're prepared to operate your network effectively, and that you're prepared to take care of the customer. Right, and and that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that comes to mind, though, is that at this point we were talking about um, the technical issues that have to be dealt with, the ability to manage the network, uh, manage customer expectations. I think this is where folks, some folks would chime in and say, well, why is the the public sector getting into this as opposed to, you know, why didn't you let the the private sector alone address these issues and not have to worry about climbing that particular learning curve? Well, like I say, um, it, we, we, we started into this process looking at, at it from the electric system perspective. Um, so we were basically asked by the public to get into the communications business in the first place back in 2000. Uh, we got into the business, and that business has slowly grown. Um, when it came time for us to build our fiber optic network, both of our county, both our county and our city mayor sat down with the incumbent providers and said, "If you'll build this network, then you know there's no reason for EPB to do it." And the response was, uh, "You know, no, we we don't think that Chattanooga needs this network." Um, so we were convinced that if we didn't do it ourselves. A uh, city like Chattanooga was unlikely to see this kind of infrastructure, you know, for a minimum of 10 years. If you look at fiber-to-the-home deployments uh, that have been done by the incumbent carriers, they typically build to into neighborhoods that have per capita incomes of around $85,000 a year. The per capita income in Chattanooga is less than $40,000 a year. So we 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 believed. Uh, and and still believe, and it's still the case, that we wouldn't have seen this infrastructure if we hadn't moved into the market. Now, since we have moved into the market, um, uh, you know, some of the incumbents have uh, deployed some of their latest technologies here uh, to compete with us. So even if some customers have not signed up for our service, they're getting better service. Uh, mm -hmm. The rates are not going up annually the way they were every year before we built our network because competition has been in injected into the market. And um, so, you know, these are all good, we believe, are, you know, good outcomes from the deployment of the system. Um, mm -hmm. So let me, uh, I'm going to shift course just a little bit here. Uh, with a number of communities, they are finding that there is reluctance on the part of their utility, whether it's a public utility and sometimes particularly if it's a private utility, where the utility company views the, the the broadband part of the deal, not so much the smart grid, but the broadband is providing services to businesses and, and consumers as almost a third rail. There's been a reluctance to, to jump into that. Now, the stimulus money made it easier in some cases because there was specific grants set up for uh, utilities and for smart grid development. But how would you counsel um, utilities in other communities to maybe not look at this thing so with so much dread? Well, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to try to offer you know, advice to another community on what's in their best interest. I, I would say that I think all of us at EPB would say that any community in the United States that wants to tackle this problem can tackle it and be successful from a business standpoint if they have some of the the the, uh, the qualities that I mentioned earlier. First of all, you have to have leadership that is that has the vision to go down this path and is willing to deal with the organizational. Uh, cultural barrier, barriers and the resistance to change that goes goes along that with that. So you have to be willing to tackle that problem, and you need leaders 
to have the patience and the maturity and the determination to make that happen. Uh, mm -hmm. The second thing you have to do is, is you, really, you really need to develop some of the people with the right skill sets. You know, Chattanooga is not the only fi municipal fiber to the home deployment in Tennessee. There is one in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, run by the local electric system there. Uh, there's one in Bristol, Tennessee. Uh, there's one in Morristown, Tennessee, in Tullahoma, Tennessee, in Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, you know, these are systems much smaller than EPBs, um, but they have, uh, you know, the local electric systems have power distributor managers, and, and they have mayors, typically, that saw this as an economic development opportunity, uh, who saw it as an opportunity to both modernize the electric system. Uh, electric systems haven't been modernized very much in the last 50 years. Um, uh, you know, if you look at research and devel development investments in pharmaceuticals and automotive and computers and software, you know, the, the electric industry has barely put in a nickel for every dollar that's been invested by these other players, these other industries. So you got to have, you know, Craig, you have to have the, the leadership and you have to have the, the business people, the technical people, and you have to have the 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 commitment to go out and have a conversation with your community and to be able to explain to them what it is you want to do and to see if they'll support you in doing it. Right, and and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you always got to have that buy-in um, from the uh, from the communities. Now, one of the questions that was posed to me uh, by actually a couple of people um, is, do we really need a gigabit, right? They will break out. Well, you know, there's smart grid, but you're moving, you know, information, and you know, every home. How much information does it does, does it, you know, is moving from a home to back to the utility? Or there's an application to do X or an application to do Y, and can you do that application with a much smaller, uh, less robust network? What what's your what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I. First of all, we we offered we we offered the gigabit capacity in Chattanooga without really having any notion of what anyone would actually do with a gigabit, you know, to the home. Um, to be you know perfectly candid with you, uh, we were into a little bit of a back and forth with uh, you know how fast are we, how fast are they, and um, we decided to end the debate by saying, look. Our network has the electronics deployed in it. It worked to the gig. Here's a gig. Uh, you know, we put a price on it, um, but we don't really know if that's the right price as time goes by. But you know, we look at the gig like like we look at smartphones, the iPhone today. I mean, it was it's a game changer. I mean, it it uh, you know it added to that positive energy here that we have in Chattanooga. We were recently named uh, one of the seven most intelligent communities in the world in part because of the fiber optic uh, smart grid gigabit capacity that we've deployed here. So, you know, it was, it was a way for us to call attention to what we're doing. It was a way for us to uh, try to attract more of that energy both in Chattanooga and beyond Chattanooga into town around this idea of the gigabit. But to say that, you know, we have about a dozen residential customers that are on the gig, and for them, it's, uh, you know, I think if you asked them, they would say, you know, well, I've got the fastest Internet in the world at my house, and, and that's why they have it. Um, so, but isn't the reality, Do they have, a, you know, a Cray supercomputer running in their basement? You know, no. Right. But isn't the reality, <laughs> though, that the fundamental cost for building out the network isn't going to really change that much if it's a 100 megabit network versus a gigabit network. I mean, aren't you really what you're doing is changing some component parts of the network as opposed to having to, you know, pour a, hum a, a humongous amount of extra dollars into the project to go from 50 megs capability to a gigabit capability. That, that, that's exactly right. We describe the fiber optic network as being future-proof. The fiber itself is capable of transmitting terabits of data. Um, it really is only limited by the electronics that we deploy on the network. And right now, we, you know, the, the network is really robust enough to serve the 8 million people of New York City. And so mm -hmm. that's why we're able to offer the gigabit capacity. 
So let me. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna transition yet again. Another thing that caught my eye when I was down there, okay. you have the fiber network, but then the city has built a wireless network on top of that, and it's a wireless network for government use, uh, meaning all the various uh, mobile workers for the for the government use it. And uh, but the network has 16 megabits symmetrical up and down. Now in 2004, 2005, you know there was tremendous interest in having citywide wireless network, um, and and some of the reasons for that were government use, but you know for a number of reasons it didn't make it out of the gate. Um, do you see what Chattanooga is doing is is, is realizing? that dream of municipal wireless from five or six years ago, with the with the gigabit network, you're able to make that dream a reality. Well, I think the, our fiber optic network gives us, gives our, our county and city government as they, they move toward deploying any, or anybody in town, really, who's managing any kind of a wireless network, it, it gives us an ability to offer them the fiber as a backhaul service uh, to reduce the distances that they have to move to move the data stream, and, and we're actually offering that service today uh, to the city and actually to some private companies. Um, when when we get into talking about wireless networks, wireless networks obviously don't have the bandwidth capacities that the fiber optic network has, so the longevity of it, we believed, uh, was more efficient. Um, we, while we're using a 900 megahertz mesh network in our uh, metering solution, uh, we're only putting you know fiber, direct fiber connections to the meters in 50% of the homes and businesses in our service area. Um, when we looked at the at the the economics of it originally, uh, you know, Craig, when you were here, you saw you know Chattanooga is sits right at the base of the Cumberland Plateau. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there we are right in the middle of rolling hills and mountains, and our topography made building a you know citywide uh, wireless network a pretty expensive endeavor as compared to what it costs us to build the fiber optic network. Now the city has been able to build the project that they've started with, you know, based on a grant. And they've been able to do some fantastic things with it. I think I'd kind of refer you to the the folks over at the city of Chattanooga to get into the details of that because they're just so much more uh, um, uh, capable of describing all that to to to, the, to you as opposed to my ability to do it. But um, you know, we support those networks. Um, um, we we are not really in the business today of you know, other than our metering solution, trying to manage a um, some sort of uh, you know public internet access-based municipal network. Right, but a visionary could come in and look at you know what Chattanooga is doing, and they could dream of well, you know, if we had a uh, fiber network and if, if conditions were right to put the the wireless components in there, then the wireless becomes yet one more reason for moving the the, the network project forward. Sure, absolutely, and uh, you know the the energy in today's market toward mobile solutions, uh, you know, make that make that uh, you know very easy to see. Mm-hmm. So now I'm gonna, uh, as we've got uh, about ten minutes left here, uh, I want to talk about something that I read in the paper today, which is indirectly tied to you guys, but I think it's a very interesting project. So there's this program called GIGU, and in this program, it's a coalition of 29 colleges and universities in the U.S. that are partnering with telecom companies to create, in essence, university networks that blossom out and provide services to the surrounding communities. And, um, I mean, which I think in and of its own right is a interesting project, but it's part of something called US Ignite and and you guys were in Cleveland a few weeks ago it's a program running from the I believe the White House Department of Science and Technology but that caught my attention I'm wondering you know if you can talk a little bit about what is US Ignite and more importantly you know what does it mean to others that are trying to pursue broadband sure um 
basically what US Ignite is designed to do is, um, is really to try to repeat the original ARPANET internet uh, experiment. So the original internet um, that was developed by ARPA um, you know, was text-based, and for those who go back far enough, the first time I actually experienced the internet, I think it was in 1990, and it was two little software programs called Go uh, Fetch and Gopher, and it was all text-based, and, and later on at the high-performance computing lab at Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, I believe is where it is, uh, you know, Netscape was born there, and the, the browser market, and of course, America Online, Yahoo, uh, Microsoft, all of the uh, uh, the browser companies sprouted, and the internet, uh, the e-commerce world sprouted from that. So I think you know what U.S. Ignite is really is the Office of Science and Technology Policy and the National Science Foundation. What they're doing is they're they're trying to take and connect the islands of bandwidth capacity in the United States together over a least access transport capacity that today is a part of what's called Internet 2 and a new network called Genie. And basically what this is is a 100 gigabit transport capacity that connects 85 tier one university research universities uh, and will soon connect six municipal fiber to the home deployments. So Chattanooga will be one of the six. Uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, in uh, the city of Washington, D in the District of Columbia in Washington, D.C., uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, out in, uh, up in uh, Ohio at Case Western University, the Case Connection Zone, and then out in Utah in the Utopia communities. But the idea is that we move from the megabit-based Internet we have today, megabit per second, to the gigabit-based internet of the future. So to do that, what they want to do is push the bandwidth capacity, and what GIGU is doing is pushing that capacity out into neighborhoods around those universities. Now what Genie is doing is it pushes that capacity not only to the universities, but for example here in Chattanooga, they'll push that bandwidth capacity, that transport across our network and then out to the larger internet out to all you know, 31,000 of our customers. So what we're doing is we're making the bandwidth, or what Ignite is doing, is making the bandwidth available, and then they're bringing the National, Re the National Science Foundation research community to the table. They are providing some grants to try to catalyze the development of applications that work at these kinds of speeds. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, I'm not the technology person, but the you know the most websites I believe today are are designed to work on a T1 line, about a meg and a half. And the idea here is to think about how do we build those websites of the future that work at you know 30 megabits per second, driving up over time up to a gig. So these are much more uh, interactive, robust. Uh, high-definition, rich media kind of environments, and when the public sees these applications, it addresses the question you started with today, which was, you know, why should we, why does anybody need all this bandwidth? And really what they're trying to do is catalyze the public-faced solutions in healthcare, in education, in entertainment, in public service, in transportation, in manufacturing, whatever it might be, to really create a new fast lane on the Internet as we know it today. Right. Um, so it does sound like something that communities need to pay attention to as it unfolds. And, and in fact, I called the, um, uh, the White House Office on Science and Technology to talk to them for a couple of minutes. And I think they have some plans for a, a very public launch of this initiative in um, either late October or September, and so I, w I would encourage you know listeners to um, you know to, to pay attention, relay the information, you know try to figure out what opportunities are there that communities can can tie into, right? I mean that seems to make, sure. be a good way to go. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah, you I know. think that uh, um, the 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 White House and uh, and the National Science Foundation 
both are very interested in, in engaging communities around the country in uh, what they're trying to make happen here. I, uh, I think that the long-term goal of Genie over the next five years is to have 200 towns on this network uh, and to grow the university uh, population at the same time. Um, you know, it's our kids who have grown up in the Internet age, in the age of Xbox and PlayStation and Wii, uh, you know, it, it's it's probably the young people that are going to play a huge role in defining what these new applications look like. And, you know, this is part of the reason why they want to push that bandwidth down to the, you know, down to the dorm room, if you will, so that, you know, it's kind of like the, the the Facebook incubation in the dorms at Harvard, you know. They, mm -hmm. they believe that, that that same kind of innovation is possible everywhere, um, because so many young people are so much more technically literate than, you know, I'm 53 than I sure was at, you know, <laughs> 17 or 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. So to to wrap up, we've got just a couple minutes left here. Give us two, you know, two main tips. How do we how do we get a good plan to move broadband forward? At, you know, at the community planning level, what do you do? Two things. Uh, become a student of uh, building and managing fiber optic networks and take the time to earn the knowledge to learn how to do it from a, both a technical and a business perspective before you jump in with both feet. Um, and find the right people to help you to learn your way up that curve. Don't be afraid, if you're serious about this, to spend a little money to, to learn those lessons. Um, you're going to save yourself a whole lot of trouble down the road if you get yourself in a position to where you understand these systems well enough to where you can manage the problems yourself. And there are problems in every endeavor in life. And so you need to be prepared to manage them. You don't want to find yourself in a position where you're relying exclusively on any vendor or consultant to manage your business for you. They're important partners, but you've got to lead it. So that's my first piece of advice. Um, my second piece of advice to a community that, that's looking at this problem would be to engage as uh, much as you possibly can with the public uh, to share with them what is possible and practical to do and to talk to them about the value that can be created from this, but to give them the most the fairest opportunity that within your means to let them give you honest feedback about whether they want your organization to do something like this or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's typical that, uh, you know, any municipal system like us who starts down this road, uh, you're going to find yourself in some lawsuits from the incumbent carriers before you get through with this process. And uh, you want to make sure that the community is with you and not against you before you get into those um, those exercises. Great. So, I, I think that's uh, you know both very excellent points, and I'm sure we will be emphasizing and reinforcing those messages as the show goes along. Jim, right. I want to thank you very much for uh, contributing your time to the maiden voyage of this project, which is its own self uh, an adventure. I have to say, this radio talk show thing is pretty cool. But but thank you. you. You've added a lot to You're uh, the very discussion. welcome. It's been a lot of fun, and um, uh, I hope we can come back someday and do it again. And I hope to be able to come back to Chattanooga at some point and see more of the city, because I definitely didn't see enough, even though I was there for three days. So I'm looking we'll forward to We'll roll out the trip. red carpet, Craig. Come anytime. Hot diggity. We'd love to have you. <laughs> All righty. So, folks, next week uh, we'll have Franklin County, Virginia, in to talk about their public-private partnership uh, network, which is mainly wireless. Uh, and then on Wednesday of next week, we'll have Santa Monica in, and Santa Monica also has a uh, gigabit network. And we're going to talk a lot about economic development. We're going to talk a lot about um, wireless and the role of wireless in the broadband picture. Uh, I believe that um, I know I talk a lot about fiber and, and I champion it, but there's also, you know, there's a role for wireless, and it's not a minor or inconsequential role. Uh, I'd like to also thank um, Hiawatha Broadband Communications for being our sponsor. 
and also our media partners, GigaOM, MuniWireless.com, and Broadband Communities Magazine, all publications actually that I contribute to in one way, form, or fashion, and they're all helping to get the word out about uh, about broadband. So thank you very much, everyone in our audience. Uh, thank you again, uh, Jim, and we will definitely see you next week. If you want to continue having a, a chat discussion online, that will continue after we sign off on the air here. So. Have a great day, a wonderful week, and let's get broadband done. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.